0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: and more and other existential questions to be raised tonight here on Damn You Hollywood. I'm Robert Winfrey. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, here with me... Uh, I've I, I got to get this out of the way. I'd like to apologize for not being on the Voltron uh, show that, was, that took place on this same time slot last week. I was supposed to be there, but I was sick over the weekend, and I woke up Tuesday without a voice. And given that this is purely a vocal... Auditory discussion medium. I had nothing to contribute if I couldn't speak. Such is the lot in life. I drew it for that day, so I'd like to apologize to anyone who was looking forward to listening to that. Mark and Robert Cooper did a solid job anyway. I am hardly a necessary component for that, but just wanted to get out, get it out there that if you missed that show and didn't, or eh, I don't know. if you missed that show, they probably explained it, rendering this whole thing somewhat extemporaneous. Anyway, wanted to get that out there. Mark, how are you doing this evening, since uh, I don't feel like rambling as much at the moment?
0: (laughs) I'm doing fine. I'm currently, as you're uh, bellyaching about uh, blog talk radio and explaining why you weren't on the Voltron podcast, I am reading an article from Gizmodo called, Geostorm's weather control tech is exceptionally bogus, scientists explain. I'm very interested in this.
1: There is nothing in that movie that operates as it does in real life.
0: Okay. I, I wasn't aware we were watching a documentary. It was a uh, science fiction movie. Look. Disaster porn. I'll get
1: to, hang on, I will get to this when we actually do the review. There were leaps in this movie I was prepared to accept and go along with. And then there were those that I wasn't.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, I'm I'm curious to see where at one point you said that's it I can't take this anymore and threw your pants at the screen
1: uh, I can tell you exactly where it was there were three separate instances okay one is we can use satellites to generate tsunamis I will go with your fictional weather technology in terms of you know, microwaving things to increase heat. I will go with it in terms of slowing things down to cool them off. I am okay with it. I will go with lasers from outer space. I am prepared to accept this. There is no way a satellite from orbit can generate a tsunami. It just can't happen. There was the whole sequence with the... Uh, space station exploding i am so sick and tired of people rendering explosions in outer space in a similar fashion to how they go on earth for a very simple reason there's no oxygen you do not get flamed (laughs) explosions in outer space because there is no oxygen without oxygen there is no combustion
0: you also don't get sound
1: I'm well aware of that. You barely get light. I mean, I got so pissed at Star Wars when you kind of realized that, no, like, none of that works that way.
0: (laughs) Well, Star Wars is different. That is space fantasy. I'm aware, and when I understood the blending
1: of genres, I I was less annoyed with it. But when it was presented to me as science fiction and I looked at it and went, no, like, (laughs) no.
0: Okay. So, um, and
1: finally, like, everything involving Andy Garcia.
0: <laughs> okay. Let me, let me say this as we get into this review. Uh, as I have said many times on this show, not a science expert, and I was willing to accept a lot more than Smarty Pants, Robert Winfrey, was willing to accept because I just wanted to be entertained by the earth being torn to pieces. That's, I, that's what I went to see, that's what I got to see, so I was relatively happy with what I was watching. However, even I, dummy Mark Rattledge, is getting a little tired of explosions in space. Because as I just said, space doesn't work that way, and I, I, as I just said, I'm, I'll accept it if we're doing fantasy. Like, you know, we not only have space that doesn't function the way space does but we have unicorns and dragons and uh, hulks and, you know, and, and just all kinds of, uh, of nonsense fantasy, fine, then all bets are off. And, it, you know, and as long as you're consistent within your own universe, even if your own universe doesn't operate under physics, I'm fine with all of that. I, I don't go to the movies for lessons in science. I just want to be entertained. So generally speaking, I'm willing to accept a lot but this is science fiction, and while the satellite science in this movie may be nonsense, um, but nonsense I'm willing to accept, I'm still, I, I still have a difficult time with the level of explosions on the space station that took place uh, that are equivalent to something that you would see on Earth with zero, with zero difference. And I, I remember enjoying the movie up until that point where I was like, all right. <laughs> I didn't come for this. And this is silly. But we'll talk about it when, when we get there. But even I had my limits, Robert Winfrey. Even I had my limits.
1: It's nice to know we found them somewhere.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, you sound right. tired. You you sound tired. You sound like you need a break. Why don't we skip next week? No. <laughs> Damn it! I'm looking out for you. you seem, no, you're you not. You seem exhausted. <laughs> you seem exhausted. You seem like you need a break from all of this.
1: I am more frustrated with Blog Talk's inability to properly interface with my headset, apparently, than I am at anything else. And it also occurred to me that for the rest of the year, there's not a single movie we're reviewing that I'm actually looking forward to.
0: All the movies we're going to see, with the possible exception of Justice League, are going to be amazing. Don't you worry.
1: Huh? I, got I you will going. remember. You said that on air. It's now documented. You said you have high expectations for Jigsaw.
0: I mean after Jigsaw.
1: Eh, no, you don't. You're just you're just trying to poke at me. Um, it's not going to work.
0: <laughs> All right, shall we get started with this?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I'd ask about your expectations, but I, I want to try something for two reviews in for two reviews specifically. One is this one. The other is the Thor review that we'll be doing in November after it comes out. I would like to ban the use of the word fun.
0: <laughs> okay. Because Go I on. Am, I, uh,
1: you and I have talked about this. I am sick to death of the use of that word as though it falls on some kind of empirical chart. There is a There is a fun line equivalent to a number line out there somewhere that critics have access to. And it falls on the fun or not fun side of the zero. I am sick to death of that being used as some kind of qualification for film quality. I am sick to death of pretending that everyone enjoys everything the same way or should enjoy everything the same way. And the fact that the rebuttal is, well, it's fun, means you don't actually have a rebuttal, just concede the point.
0: Okay. I'm I'm fine with that. I will um I will attempt to review this movie without inputting my own level of enjoyment in it because if I did I would have to say I had up, and, up until the, the the stupid space station scene I was having fun with it. So there you have it. That's the last time you'll hear me say it tonight.
1: Well, until we get like there comes a point when like okay, fine, at this point we can talk about it in those terms, but It just bugs me about criticism in general. Again, you and I have talked about this. Like, oh, well, this movie isn't fun, and that's a big cardinal sin. Like, who the hell are you to pontificate (laughs) Mr. Wally Waffles? I can only work for myself because I'm such a hack that I have to be self-employed. Who died and made you the supreme arbiter of fun?
0: Well, I'll give you this. We we need to talk about the critical element of this movie, and you're right. Uh, a critical element is whether it's not whether or not you personally had fun with it. Uh, critical element is looking at the uh, the special effects, the sound editing, the performances, the plot, etc. Um, notice I said plot last.
1: So, <laughs> well, well in this movie, that's because it's an afterthought. <laughs>
0: Uh, So we'll look at all of those things where, you know, where my personal enjoyment of it really has no, never mind.
1: And I will do my best to do the same until the point arises when, okay, fine. And then finally, did you have fun at it? So, all right, with that out of the way.
0: But I want want one thing from you now. Okay. Okay. I want you to get through a plot synopsis with, I want you to get through the plot synopsis, Without editorializing, just tell the people what the movie, what happens in the movie. That's it. I don't want you going off on one of your Mr. Wizard tangents. Okay, I com- will we save have time the, the
1: Mr. Wizard tangent for after the plot
0: synopsis. Thank you. Just tell the people what happened in the movie. All right. And be entertaining about it. Juggle. Dance for me, monkey.
1: That's like asking me to juggle without giving me balls.
0: Oh, you've got balls, all right.
1: Uh, All right, as for this movie, we open with some voiceover narration from a girl who turns out to be Gerard Butler's character's daughter, explaining that the world went to hell, because global warming is a thing. And in order to preserve the human race, all races came together in peace and harmony to build a space station, and the series of satellites that have the technology to disperse giant acts of nature harmlessly. And this has been going for a few years, and everything seems to be basically okay. We then meet Gerard Butler, who is the engineer, scientist, responsible in chief for building the darn thing. He runs afoul of the politics of the situation by just not wanting to deal with politics, and really who can blame him. And he, is, he winds up being fired from his position running this thing by his younger brother, who is something of a politician. This leads to their falling out for three years. When things start to go hay, haywire on the space station, there's a village in Afghanistan that gets bombarded with cold and freezes and kills a bunch of people. Uh, the people in charge of the space of uh, this whole thing—they call it Dutch Boy after the rather famous story of the boy putting his fingers in the dike to plug the leak—and they don't want this thing to keep going haywire. They want it to work properly, so they petition Gerard Butler to go back to go back up to his baby to figure out what's going on. He somewhat reluctantly agrees to do so. Uh, As he's up there trying to figure things out, his younger brother, uh, they kind of, at the same time, arrive at the conclusion he's told by a colleague of his who was subsequently murdered for knowing too much. Because when you're trying to cover something up, that's what you do. Not an editorialization there. That's actually what you do. Uh, He... Uh, so they both kind of run concurrent investigations into this. Jared Butler from more of the technical side, his brother from more of the political side. They find that there's a virus that's been implanted into uh, the machine uh, you know the programming of this space station that is causing it to kind of go haywire. Well, why, you might ask, this thing is literally protecting the world? Well, because people want power. That's the answer given. As they are investigating, they suspect the president at one point uh, because he's one of the few people with the actual authority and positioning to pull this off. It turns out not to be him. It's the secretary of state who is trying to rid the world of the enemies of America, kill off everyone above him in the presidential line of succession, and take ultimate power, which he would kind of have if it actually worked. Anyway, they discover that on Earth while up in space. Gerard Butler winds up at the last second being able to flush the system of the virus, which requires a reset. They find the person responsible for implanting the virus. He is subsequently sucked into space. Uh, like that, That's just how they deal with him. Sorry, I almost went off there. Uh, Gerard Butler nearly dies in the attempt Uh, But he is saved at the last second through a series of improbable events. And he returns to Earth having reconciled with his brother and forging a new relationship with his daughter who shows up for like – who is narrating. And we close with some narration from her about the necessity of human togetherness, et cetera, et cetera. Did I miss anything that you wanted to bring up as far as the actual plot of this?
0: Um, did you talk about them? Ki- I, I didn't recall you bring saying anything about the subplot of having to kidnap the president.
1: I did not bring that up. There is a brief subplot wherein uh, Butler's brother and his fiancée who works for the Secret Service... Kidnap the president for his own safety. Uh, it It's just kind of there to fill time.
0: Well, it's established that in order to do the system reboot on Dutch Boy, uh, the president has to initiate the kill codes. Um, he has to do this by biometric scan. So they need to get the president to a place, I guess, NASA – where he can do that. Um, Subsequently, they are being chased by the secretary of state and his goons uh, who are going to try to just shoot them and kill them all uh, during this huge storm that's taking place where the president is, which is at the time Orlando, Florida, because they're in the middle of the democratic national convention. Um, All right. So here's what I thought was well done about this movie. I mean, the main attraction, the main event, the reason why you go to this is the disaster porn. You want to see, you know, cool visuals of the earth tearing itself apart. There's the sequence of the frozen Afghanis, which there's there's nothing really going on there. It's just in terms of action. They're just walking through the landscape and you see frozen people and they kind of mess with them a little bit and a few of them fall apart. Uh, I mean that that's fine. It is what it is. The next sequence is like a gas explosion that happens uh, in China, where basically hell erupts from the from the uh, underneath the streets, and you know you have you know these large fiery explosions shooting up from the ground. the you know, The streets are cracking. That looked pretty cool. I thought that was pretty well done. The next one I believe is Orlando, and what's fun about that scene, in terms of visuals, Nothing. is there's a car. There's a car chase going on. That's that's the main point of everything leading up to uh, the main point of that scene is this car chase. Between the Secretary of State Who is Ed Fuck What was his name Um, Damn it Where's the cast
1: Ed Harris Uh, It's always Ed Harris Harris. Why Can I just say They're a little misdirect With maybe it's the president I can't If you bought that I have to imagine You just don't watch movies because there's two major things at play here as far as tropes go. A it's always the Secretary of State or the National Security Advisor. Or someone in that type of position. Always. And B, it's always Ed Harris. Okay. It is so, always Ed Harris.
0: So Ed Harris who and, and I'm just talking about the visuals now. I'll get I'll get to that like part of the plot in a moment, but Ed Harris and his goons are chasing uh, the other, the, the Gerard Butler's brother, his fiance, and Andy Garcia, who is the president. And it might as well have been your, your your average car chase, except that it's made a little bit more interesting by the lightning that is shooting down from the sky and actually hitting the ground. Uh, and it's almost and it's almost like lasers being shot down as if God himself was trying to shoot the president. I thought that looked cool. And I thought it made a rather mundane car chase that much more interesting. Uh, then there's the tornadoes in India, which was kind They're of nothing. mad. Yeah. And then there's the tsunami in Dubai, That look, yeah, that was looked. uh, It was okay. I mean, I think it looked cool to me just because you know it was it was happening in Dubai, and so you have this sort of lively desert city, and then suddenly you have you know it's turning into Atlantis, (laughs) Um, and that kind of looked cool to me. But the it's the best stuff is in China and Orlando. So there's good and bad here. One, I was thinking a lot about the day after tomorrow in 2012 where I felt like you never got a break from the destruction. And to compare these like movies, I think there comes a point where you have to stop and let the movie breathe. So on the one hand, this movie does a really good job of breaking up all the destruction you're going to see in the movie – over these different scenes that are not necessarily happening in succession. You have the bit with Afghanistan, then a couple of scenes later you have the bit with China, then a good 15 to 20 minutes passes, and you get the bit with Orlando. Um, Not too long after that, India and Dubai kind of happen around the same time, and they actually keep going back to India a few times. Um, For no reason other than to
1: establish pointless tension over a small child and his dog.
0: But the point that I'm getting at is you're going to these movies to see uh, disaster porn, you know, scenes of destruction, and they spread them out throughout the movie. So at least if that's what you're interested in, it keeps your interest for the length of the movie. It isn't, I can't remember if it was 2012 or The Day After Tomorrow, where it was just one long succession of destruction Oh, that no, that, that's, going on hang forever. on, that's
1: 2012. The Day After Tomorrow is actually a better example of what you're talking about, of giving characters in a movie time to breathe. There's long stretches of that film where there's okay. no major destruction, but characters are still doing things. I actually like The Day After Tomorrow. Um, 2012, on the other hand, is just, no, oh, no, no, that's like one thing after another, after another, after another, after another, and it's all John yeah. Cusack, so it's all just like unwatchable.
0: Yeah, this wasn't running from, you know, this wasn't the main characters running from the earth tearing itself apart. Um, You have, it's brief moments of destruction, then it stops, and then there's more plot happening, and then there's another, you know, another uh, disaster happening. Um, Really the highlight, you know, in all honesty, is the Orlando sequence. Um, After that, it's a sort of falling action. You know they're trying to they're trying to resolve you know when, now now when the cat's out of the bag they're trying to resolve everything and fix Dutch boy blah blah yakety schmackety but um, yeah unlike 2012 at least this at least they spread out the destruction enough to keep you interested in the film um, in theory on the other side I don't know they're if you watch the commercials for Storm*, you would think there's more destruction in the movie. And if that's what you were looking for, like just wall-to-wall destruction, um, this movie kind of disappoints on that front. Like I said, I, I just named off all the scenes of destruction there are. And I could have used a few more. I could have used a little bit more intensity you know. in terms of, of what they were trying to do. But that, that's not what we got here. We, we got kind of a mystery. Now, let me talk about the performances. Gerard Butler's getting a lot of crap for his performance, and I don't know. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was spectacular, but I didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't like reading off cue cards or anything. you know. Um, I believed he thought he was that character. I was having a rough time with the guy that plays his brother just because he had such like a thick northeastern accent like he just, like like he seemed to have just walked off the set of welcome back Cotter you know, and I was like, how did you ever get to a higher position in the government talking that way like he oh because he he's in appointed political.
1: positions, not elected positions yeah, either
0: statement. way i okay but it, but with that. New York accent. I was. I he didn't sound believable to me in that role in that position at all. Um, like I don't. You know. Like like I said, it seemed like they like they just plucked him from the crowd and were like, "You're Deputy Secretary of State." You know. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't buy it. Um, his fiance is fine. She she's just an action hero in this in this movie. She doesn't. There's not really much to her. Uh, the kid who doesn't have a large part in the movie, but you know is established you know establishes narration and all of that. I mean, she just has to react to a lot, to a lot of scenes of her dad potentially dying. That's most of what she does. It's fine. Andy Garcia is fine. Um, the sec- guy plays Secretary of State. I guess what I'm saying is none of the performances were outstanding. Everyone is average or you know average or a little less than average. Um, but not enough where it really took me out of the film. The plot of this thing. Okay. Here's where I want to talk about something that I thought was interesting. Because we, we live in a world where people voted for Donald Trump. I am going somewhere with this, and I am not necessarily trying to be political. But we do live in a world where people bought into the idea of... We're, Ed Harris, that's his name. i got to remember that. Where, you know, Donald Trump is going to make America great again. The implication being that white people, specifically white men, have lost their grip on power in this country. And he's going to give it back to them. He's going to take it from the blacks. He's going to take it from the Mexicans. He's going to take it from the gays. And he's going to give it back to white straight men. Okay? That's the belief. That's why they elected him president, by and large. And along with that is the idea of, of this transition of America from being a, uh, one, of the, one of the few global superpowers to being part of a global community. And you have Ed Harris, who makes a speech in the movie about that's kind of what's informing... It isn't just that he wants to be president, it's that, without necessarily saying all of what I just said, but implying a lot of it, he's like, look, we, you know, we almost faced uh, destruction on this planet, and it was working with these other countries, how do I put this? The way, the way that I understood what he was saying was essentially, depending on other countries to come together nearly killed us all. There has to be one strong power in this world, and it needs to be us. And so, yeah, I'll be president, but by setting up, by setting up all these storms and wiping out our enemies, we can reshape the world back to 1950. Yeah, uh, 45.
1: It should be. He specifically 45. said 1945, when America was a shining city on a hill.
0: Okay, sorry, 1945. And that resonates thematically with what's going on in this country. There are people who wish we would go back to 1950, 1945, because then they would have the majority of control in this country. They, you know, we, t- we mostly lived in uh, one-income homes where the man went out to work and the wife stayed home. You had gas was
1: less than a dollar a gallon
0: than, you had less integration, gays were in the closet now I'm not advocating for any of these things. I'm saying this is how people think this is how they vote, and this is what the film was talking about now they absolutely villainized it uh, by you know <laughs> creating a villain character who espouses these things, but I think you have to it was. I don't know if poignant the right word, but it was one of those moments in the film that despite all the silliness, despite the, you know, the nonsense happening in the film, was like, wow, that's a resonant point in today's society. There are absolutely people who think that way. And we talk about how the best villains in a movie are the ones that absolutely feel like they are doing the right thing and have a point of view. Um, how he carries out his point of view and what he does and the length that he goes. Okay, so that all makes him horrible. But he's coming from a place, he's coming from the exact same place that almost half, this, half the voting public in our last election were also coming from, by and large. So I get why Hollywood writers would put that in there and, and say, look, see, that, that the way that you feel is bad... And it's now, uh, and it's going to be a major source of this guy's character. But it spoke to me in the sense that, or at least we're talking about it, you know, in a very silly film that nobody saw, but at least we're, we're we are talking about this sort of thing. So I liked it. I liked, I li- I liked that, that that was where he was coming from. It wasn't just a mustache twirly thing. You know, he was like, oh, I just want to be president. Like, no, he had an agenda. Uh, a resonant agenda.
1: Of course, so did the uh, writer, which included smart cars. A literal scene where a smart car outruns a Humvee, which is then crushed by a building.
0: <laughs> so, lastly, the overall plot of this thing, I thought was... <laughs> I This took me on a range of emotions, because in the beginning when you're talking about, like, we can't get our shit together... Um, and you know we almost face global extinction you know due to global climate change, and I was like okay i 'm not one of these people who denies global climate change and the damage that it 's going to do. however, I still don 't want my nose rubbed in it, <laughs> and this felt a little, a little nose rubby uh felt a little too uh you know the episode of South Park where everyone 's driving Priuses and they, you know and they, they love the smell of their own farts felt a little too much like that. But then we eased out of that and you know and into the plot of the movie, um, and I like the idea of what you know science fiction or not that you know they built this satellite to try to uh, stop global catastrophes, before they uh, natural disasters before they happen uh, with the space station, and the space station is working fine until somebody hacks it for this nefarious plot, and then it's a who done it. And that's what I'm getting to. One of the things I liked about this movie, and I thought it was interesting, and it would made it different than The Day After Tomorrow or 2012, where it's just nature gone crazy, basically. And I, my my struggle with those movies is there's, is the villains are always people sort of reacting to things, you know. Uh, I think it's The Day After Tomorrow where they won't let everybody on the boats. Um, I don't even remember what, what happened in 2012. Shit. Uh, I'm mixing up my movies. Um, They're very similar.
1: Yeah, it's completely understandable.
0: In any case, the point is, there's always, the, the villain is always somebody who's just a dick in the middle of things, reacting to the natural disasters. But the natural disasters are, are the actual villains and they, make for, they just make for shitty villains. This I like the structure of this movie because essentially, it's everything was working fine until the villains got a hold of it and started using it for horrible things. And then they had to figure out who the villains were, and then they had to deal with the villains, and then they had to fix the problem. And the ta-da, nick of time. I I thought that's solid. That's solid movie structure. Is this movie the greatest movie I've ever seen? No, obviously not. It's really silly in a lot of places. Um, like I said, it could have used a few more disaster sequences. Um, and the acting is about par to subpar. Uh, it's kind of a C plus B minus somewhere in there. That, you know, depending on how you personally feel about these things. You're being as generous. As far as, the, as, far as the critical elements go, um, you know, it's not the, it, it's not the worst made movie I've ever seen. Today I watched Halloween three season of the witch. That's far worse than this in my opinion. I could not possibly
1: disagree with you more.
0: Okay. Um, Uh, But we'll hear more about that on Thursday uh, on On Trial, in theory. So those are my thoughts. Your witness, sir.
1: All right. Let me preface everything I'm about to say with the following. I like disaster movies.
0: Hang on, before you start, how much of what I said made you want to cut yourself? I'm just curious, <laughs> or Not rather, much. or even, or even just quit the show because you can't stand me anymore. I'm okay, curious. first
1: of all, cutting myself would probably be easier than quitting the show, and so <laughs> I mean, just as a point of reference, I've got like five or six very sharp knives within arm's reach as I sit here right now. I mean, that that's easy. Okay. Got a straight razor too. <laughs> anyway, all right. Anyway, again, let me preface this with: I tend to like disaster movies. I don't know why. I could not possibly tell you the genesis of this proclivity of mine, but I do. And uh, I mean, we talked about San Andreas last year, which I actually enjoyed. I enjoy the day after tomorrow, 2012, not so much. But I, I kind of dig disaster movies in that vein. I am very forgiving of them in terms of my enjoyment because, let's face it, none of them are good. And for, but I can usually, unless there's again, unless they're just really, really bad, I can probably enjoy myself. And then there's this. I I, I find almost nothing positive to say about this I didn't care for the effects I know a lot of this this boggles my mind that there are people out there critics praising the effects it it boggles the mind like have you never seen well done effects like this because they don't look like this they don't look like what we got on the screen Uh, I mean, this is a disaster movie without a legitimately decent disaster sequence. It just doesn't exist in this film. I, I mean, I get that Mark kind of enjoyed the car chase, but it was so poorly edited that I couldn't enjoy it. It just, there's no major signature disaster sequence. I mean, we could have used another major sequence or two in this movie. I don't want just running disaster, but there's big stretches of this where they tried to go for political intrigue, and it really is mundane. There's just nothing interesting or memorable about it. And, I mean, God, this is so frustrating. I almost have too much that I want to bash on here. The performances are all generally acceptable, I'll agree with Mark, as far as that goes. Unfortunately, this film just winds up being, and when I say derivative, I don't mean it the same way a lot of reviewers do, like, well, this is similar to another movie, so it must be derivative, like, that that's stupid. That's a horrible, horrible standard to measure against. When I say this is derivative, it's not because, well, it's similar to these other movies, it's more like well, these other movies did this, so why don't we do it? Which is a, I feel is an entirely different point of to argue from. You had the dad with his daughter, and he nearly dies in the end, and, I mean, do I have to list the number, the sheer number of disaster movies that have that in them? You have the evil government. Again, do I have to list them? You have... Uh, God, there's there's just nothing good here. There's just nothing good. And uh, oh, there was one other thing. I, oh crap, what was? it? I had something very specific. All right. In addition to, uh, okay, because I don't want to go into this speci- I don't want to go into the details. Let me say this. Nothing in this movie works this way. Nothing. <laughs> oh, here we go. And I was, and again, I was prepared to go on a journey of suspension of disbelief in some respects. I, I think it's just stupid not to if you're going into a movie like this. If you go into a movie like this and go, they couldn't possibly build a satellite network like that, shut up. And yeah, satellites don't control the weather, shut up. All right? There is some suspension of disbelief that has to occur when you're watching a movie. Otherwise, I would love to take any of you to a firing range sometime, and you can all see what a muzzle flash actually looks like. I'll tell you, it doesn't look a damn thing like they show in Hollywood. And then you can start, then we can have a discussion about the validity of muzzle flash suppressors. It's not really a thing. It's a sound suppressor. Muzzle flashes below a certain caliber, like, aren't even detectable by the naked eye.
0: You're, you're going off track, sir.
1: I know. I'm, so, again, if you're not, you have to be okay with some suspension of disbelief. And I was okay with the laser beams. There's a laser beam that they actually push, like, navigate through part of Moscow. And believe it or not, I was somewhat okay with that.
0: Oh, that's but then I they had it create a
1: tsunami. I shouldn't have to explain the physics of, uh, like, wave physics. You cannot use a satellite unless it actually falls into the water to create a wave, much less one of that size. Tsunamis are caused by severe, sudden displacement of water, which you cannot affect via satellite transmission. I mean, I take umbrage with the whole bit in Hong Kong, too. If you have heated up an area to the point where you are warping and bending metal underground, you're at a point where human skin just combusts. There is an actual burning temperature for the flesh on your body. So if he's in that area when they're heating up metal to the point where it expands and violently and the gas ignites yeah you're just gonna die anyway like (laughs) that's just how that is again explosions in space don't look anything like that somewhat ironically until the final scene of the space station exploding which is slightly more accurate I mean, there's there's whole segments in that space in that in that area. Sorry, not sequence, but there's multiple times when Gerard Butler is flung through outer space, and it's pretty clear the director had seen Gravity at some point and thought, "Ooh, that looks kind of (laughs) cool." There's nothing here interesting. There's nothing here original. Again, it's never the president. It's always the conniving underling. And it's almost always Ed Harris. If Ed Harris is in your movie, unless it is based on actual events, say Apollo 13, he's probably going to be the bad guy. It's almost always Ed Harris. So Ed Harris, as Secretary of State, there's not a more telegraphed finish. (laughs) There just isn't. And... I mean, at least Armageddon had the good sense to kill Bruce Willis to kind of drive home that there is some emotional weight to these types of things. I maintain Armageddon's an exceptionally well-written film, despite being grossly inaccurate scientifically and directed by a hack. If you like disaster movies like me, if you like me and you do enjoy these types of movies, I can only tell you this. There's better. There is so much better already out there in the world at your fingertips that you can watch. Save the money that you would have spent on this movie. Watch something else. If you want, again, larger budgets, I actually do recommend San Andreas. There's a lot good about it, especially once you get past that stupid opening sequence. If you want a smaller, slightly more intimate disaster movie, uh, there's a movie from the mid 90s possibly late 90s called Dante's Peak it stars uh, Linda Hamilton and Pierce Brosnan It's a really good one There's a lot of there's a lot of good disaster movies This isn't one of them Pretty much everything in this movie you've already seen you've already seen done better Save your money find it elsewhere and uh, again just not, I cannot recommend anything about this movie under basically any context to essentially anyone.
0: <laughs> Jesus <Jeez>, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> May God have mercy on all your souls.
1: I wouldn't go that far. but I am saving that line. There's other movies that are coming out probably this year that I imagine having a very strong negative reaction to. That I will probably bust that line out for. I, I'm not going to waste it here.
0: Okay. Um, well, I clearly didn't have as many problems with this movie as you did. But then again, you know, you, as we have uh, determined many times on this show, sometimes we have similar tastes and sometimes we couldn't have less similar tastes. It just really depends on the movie, depends on the, the genre, you know. But that's. That's why we talk to each other about these things, you know. I can't believe you like that. I can't believe you didn't like that. Yeah, that's what we do here. All right, mm, uh, I'm not gonna. It will belabor- happen
1: again in the very near future. I feel almost certain of it.
0: Right, I'm not gonna belabor the point anymore. I, I had intended this to be kind of a shorter show, you know, keep it around an hour, and we have t- ten minutes left. Oh boy, uh, how did how, boy have I lost track of time? All right, so with that being said. Uh, here come the money. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. All right. Uh, well, this thing is set to lose hundred million dollars. It had a budget of one hundred and twenty. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I was—I've been doing some reading about, about this. Uh, this actually had a budget of, I think, like sixty or eighty million something, there, something in there. But uh, at test screen, t- the test screenings went so badly that they reshot a lot of the movie. It seems to be a thing now in Hollywood. Uh, and so You'd think they'd learn also...
1: You'd just think they'd look at something like Pan Or King Arthur I mean King Arthur, Legend of the Sword Had a whole other bag of fish Including a couple of failed starting productions Rather than simply reshooting After test screenings But you just think they'd learn This is going to suck well, well if we spend another $80 million on it
0: <laughs> Here's the other thing and I'm realizing this more and more that this had several pushbacks. I mean, like by, by several years, this thing got pushed back. This was actually supposed to come out when Dawn of Justice came out, but they decided to put Dawn, Warner Brothers, that is, decided to put Dawn of Justice on Geostorm's date and moved it back, and then it moved it back again. And again, this actually was supposed to come out January, but it got pushed back to October, as the final pushback date. And every time they push the movie back, it costs more money. So I'm not surprised the budget blew up to 120 million. And the, what I was reading was this has to make somewhere between 300 and 350 million at this point to break even after all the delays and reshoots and everything else. And it's currently made worldwide 66 million dollars. As I said, it, it set, it's tracking to lose about 100 million this year. It'll be one of the one of the uh, the third biggest actually box office bomb, according to Wikipedia. Um, on the worst opening, supersaturated, it ranks 142. Uh, worst opening, supersaturated adjusted, it came in at number 90. So, yeah, it's not doing well. I mean, nobody, when I say nobody went to go see this thing in America, I'm not kidding. It was like 14 million. And just to give you a comparison, okay, this is where, this is what people went to go see Medea. Tyler Perry's Boo 2, a Medea Halloween, its weekend domestic gross was like $21 million and was the number one movie uh, of the weekend. And knocked Happy Death Day from one to three. Now Geostorm came in number two, but when I tell you like there was no competition this weekend as you know, as far as um you know, what else is going on in theaters that's fairly new. I mean I'll just I'll just read off the top (laughs) ten here. (laughs) Yeah. So Tyler Perry, that was the big hit this weekend. May God Um, have
1: mercy on your soul if you continue to support Tyler Perry at this point in his career. Because I will not.
0: That had a budget of $25 million. <laughs> and it's only been That'll released in America. And it's, he's a, and it's currently he a at smart 22. movie
1: maker. I find his content terrible, but he keeps his budgets reasonable. He appeals to a wide audience, and for some reason, Oprah constantly plugs his stuff. So he's like, he's a smart business investment at this point, even if his movies are just the dirt worst.
0: Yeah, like I say, he's got, a, he's got his niche audience. Uh, Geostorm came in at number two with 13 million um, for the weekend. Happy Death Day went from one to three with nine million. And I'm rounding. Uh, Blade Runner went from two to four with seven million. Only The Brave debuted at number five, which I believe is the Firefighter movie. Um, With the cuter played Mr. Fantastic, who's on like everything now. The Farner with eight million. Why is Miles Keller
1: a thing? Someone's going to really have to explain to me one of these days
0: well, what deity tonight.
1: Miles Teller sold his soul to to get five years of solid acting, of solid, consistent work out of Hollywood.
0: The Farner with uh, Jackie Chan dropped from three to six. It dropped from four to seven with uh, three million. The Snowman, which Robert would have much rather reviewed, but, you have uh, no I idea. Wa- you
1: have no idea how much I would have rather I, reviewed The Snowman.
0: It, too, bombed. It debuted at number eight. And just to tell you, on a $35 million budget, it domestically it made $3 million. Far and it made twenty, for a grand total of $23 million. Again, nobody saw this, and apparently it's being panned by critics. So there you go. It bombed on both fronts. Uh, the, yeah, but it's also in a better to...
1: spot to potentially be profitable than various other movies.
0: True, uh, the Tom Cruise uh, movie about cocaine, American Made, dropped from six there. to nine. The Kingsman, Kingsman, the Golden Circle, one of the few franchise movies I wasn't going anywhere near, dropped from seven to ten.
1: Has the Mountain Between
0: Us, which is I the... feel
1: like that thing has
0: who oh, the, the the Kingsman Golden Circle, yeah. Kingsman, the Golden Circle, got it. Uh, on a budget of 104, no, it's fine. Um made okay. 200, made 250 million foreign, and almost 100 million domestic for a 344 $300, million dollar 300. take okay. so far. So,
1: it, I mean, yeah, that's not fine. good relative to the first one, but all things considered,
0: it's fine. Okay. Yep. Um, buh, 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 buh. Okay, so back to the the, the list here. Uh, the Mountain Between Us, which is the survival movie with Edris, uh, Edris Ilba, um, dropped from 5 to 11. Same kind of different as me, debuted at number 12. I have no idea what that is. Uh, the Lego Ninjago movie dropped from 8 to 13. Victorian Abdul, which is a period piece, dropped from 10 to 14. My Little Pony dropped from 9 to 15. Marshall it like dropped from that? 11 to 16. Because that's, the, the, that's how the song goes. My Little Pony. Um, Marshall it's a good thing you're alone. an
1: empathetic he- human being with a social working degree, because you're a terrible singer.
0: My Little Pony. Da, 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 da. This is Planet Hulk. I'm oh, sorry, I got lost in my own thing again. Uh, Gulmal again dra- debuted again draw 17. But, but you did bring up two and, things that suck almost equally. Um. So that that's really it for the list. The next two things is not really worth talking about. They made less than a they made less than a million dollars. So, um, where do we stand right now? Not a whole lot of change in the top ten, to be honest with you, but you know, we like to we like to talk about it. So here we go. Uh, worldwide. It's the only thing that matters to me. Beauty and the Beast is still number one, Fate of the Fury is still number two, Despicable Me, number three, Spider-Man. We talked about a couple of weeks ago has climbed all the way to number four. Good for Sony. <laughs> so Sony's only win this year was done by the D- Disney people. I just, I just. I wonder how much of the profits
1: that. they're wanted, they're splitting with Disney and Marvel for that.
0: But I, I mean, like, I just I just look at if you look at Sony in terms of uh, you know studio takes. You know they're they're number five for the year with a nine point four take. And here's here's the movies that they've given us. Okay, so Spider-Man's number one, right? Um, But that was done by the Marvel people. So if you take out Spider-Man, their number one movie this year was from their TriStar imprint, which is Baby Driver. And coming in at number three was the Emoji movie. Number four was The Dark Tower, which bombed. Smurfs. Passengers, which is from 2016. Underworld. Life, which also bombed. Resident Evil, Rough Night, and this only gets worse after that.
1: There was nothing but bombs for Sony this year, outside of them going to Disney on bended knees saying, please, 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 we don't know what to do with this character.
0: Yeah. Anyway, um, so, I mean, the people at Sony must be on suicide watch at this point. Uh, Wolf Warrior, which is a Chinese movie, came uh, as number five. Guardians has pretty much stayed put at number six. Wonder Woman, number seven. Pirates, number eight. It has climbed to number nine, which knocked Transformers out of the top ten. The people at Paramount must be on Suicide Watch.
1: (laughs) I am so happy about that. So irrationally happy about that.
0: (laughs) And rounding out the top ten is Logan, which will be out of the top ten shortly. Um, If Thor Thor and... And if Thor and Justice League doesn't knock Logan out of the top ten, Star Wars will. That's that's just the way it is. Yeah.
1: Um, Between and, those
0: three. And Thor is, Thor is tracking to to make the top ten, so, yeah, it's it's done. Um, you know, what was, you know, was Which it was a big fine. win look, for Fox look, this year? Honestly, if I was yeah.
1: the people at Fox, I'd re-release Logan theatrically once Oscar season starts. Hmm.
0: Um, it, where no, I would right. I mean, seriously
1: still, give that another run through like if it gets nominated for some stuff, and it should.
0: I mean, it did well. It's, it was wildly profitable. It only had a $100 million budget, and it's made $616 million, but it's also its most profitable movie, or its, its highest grossing, I should say, movie this year. It, I mean, if you take Logan out of the top 10, that's it for Fox. Fox's next. Fox's next best movie this year was The Boss Baby.
1: Which was terrible. Just just terrible.
0: My kid likes it, and that's who it was meant for. Um, after that is War for the I Planet of the I don't
1: care. A. That doesn't stop it being terrible. It just means your kid I, liked again,
0: it. Again, it, well, it, it was meant for kids. Not, it wasn't meant for Mr. Wizards.
1: I mean, he comes um, out wearing a suit, and no one seems to bat an eye at this. That movie makes no
0: sense. Okay, it, it's per- it makes perfect sense in its own world. Yeah, I'm just looking at the, the studio take for this year. Logan's, it's number one movie, then The Boss Baby, then War for the Planet of the Apes, then The Kingsman, then Aliens, then Captain Underpants. Captain underpants.
1: Not a record. good year for Fox.
0: Well. Um, on a $40 million budget, it made, yeah, okay, eventually it made some money. Um, 120 million dollars, roughly. So, it, it, I would say closer to when it's it's released, it wasn't doing that well. I remember it was way down for a while. All right, um, that's all I got for the money. Uh, next week is Jigsaw. You know, horror movies, especially around Halloween, <laughs> do fine. I'm, sh- I'm sure, I'm sure Jigsaw will make money. Um, Look,
1: I said this. I've said this before. Much as I love the first two saw movies and can tolerate a few of the others they keep going because they are reasonably budgeted to a devoted audience i mean they don't cost more than about 40 to 50 million dollars to make and so, they're pretty quick, reasonably um, guaranteed a return of, you know, 120 to 200 some odd million. So they're just going to keep turning out profitable movies in that franchise until they until it dies. And it should have died so a long time ago, but it's still profitable.
0: So it's Halloween weekend. Uh, next weekend is Jigsaw, which we'll be reviewing. Suburbicon, which is the uh, crime comedy with um, Matt, Dam- Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Uh, um am at
1: in the movie. It's, just a, bur- bur- bur-
0: it's a very stylized 1950 ish piece. Um, and then the Miles Teller, uh, I believe it's Miles Teller that's in this. Thank you for your service. Yeah, yes.
1: Miles Teller.
0: That is going to come due for him
1: shit. in the very near future. Something terrible oh. is going to happen to him. And we'll all know so, that it was the devil collecting on his due.
0: Yeah, so I don't see Suburbicon doing well, or Thank You for Your Service. Um, I, I think Jigsaw is definitely going to win the weekend. But then shortly after that is Thor, which has no competition. Um, A Bad Mom's uh, Christmas comes out November first, followed by Daddy's Home Two, starring John Cena. Oddly enough, um, and what? Murray, Mur- Murray No. Yeah, John Cena. Yeah, John Cena is in Daddy's Home Two.
1: He's not starring.
0: Well, he's got a starring role.
1: He's not even in the previews.
0: Sure he is. Go to the movies more often.
1: I go to the movies as often as you do. Every single preview of that movie I have seen has not featured John Cena.
0: He's in it. I didn't make that up. He's in the movie.
1: I believe you when Um, you tell me he's in the movie. I'm telling you he's not in the previews.
0: He is in the previews. I will send you video if you want.
1: I would... Please... If you have video evidence, I would appreciate it.
0: Okay. Um, so Daddy's Home 2 is uh, November Although 10. this will
1: kill my conspiracy theory that Mark Wahlberg is actually just a detachable limb of John Cena that he sends out, and that's why you never see them in the same place at the same time.
0: You're so witty. Um, and Murder on the Orient Express. I'm surprised you're not twisting my arm to go, see that, to go view, uh, review that one. Much
1: as I... I do want to see it, and I do hope it does well, because legitimate mystery whodunit movies are rapidly dying, and it's a genre I think we need to try and save. It's got Johnny Depp in it, and I'm just not willing to twist your arm over anything related to Johnny Depp.
0: Fair point. Um, Justice League is uh, the 17th, and that's up against a religious animated picture brought to you by Sony, and the drama it's up against and nothing. The <laughs> drama with the kid with the with the the uh plastic surgeried face, uh wonder, which no one's going to go see. I don't know why they would release that at the same time as Justice League. Um and then shortly I mean, Justice after. Justice League is gonna uh,
1: suck, but everyone's gonna see it.
0: Yeah, shortly after that is Coco. Um then the Are we doing Coco? Shortly after we sure are, Binky. And then okay. shortly after that is Star Wars. So anyway, so my my point being that anything that came out that, that we were talking about right now is going to be forgotten about very quickly if it hasn't if it hasn't already. Like anyone that was going to go see this weekend's movies isn't going to see is you know has already seen them and is not, and then no one else is going to see these movies the rest of the year. We're done here. <laughs> so, poor Geostorm is going to lose $100 million.
1: I told you. All right. I seem to recall telling you this repeatedly when you, when you put it on the schedule.
0: Yeah, but I still wanted to see it, and I still wanted to review it.
1: Uh, I could have saved us so much time and energy. So much. What
0: else, oh, what else would you be talking about tonight? Nothing. That's what you'd be doing. All right, let's get on with this.
1: Um, all right, this should be an interesting segment this time around.
0: (laughs) Are you ready? Also,
1: and I mean this, I 100% mean this, I am prepared to be the only man standing on the hill saying Thor Ragnarok sucks, if that's what I feel like after I've seen it. I'm warning Mm. everybody right now.
0: Terrific. Let's get through Jigsaw first.
1: Eh... I mean, we will, and I'll enjoy it, and I'll enjoy mocking you over your being a girly man about it, but...
0: (laughs) I don't even think Jigsaw's going to, like, frighten me as much as I don't want to see people mutilated, and I'm going to hate you for this.
1: No, look, the first few entries into that franchise, legitimately good horror movies, with some actual scares, plot, uh, atmosphere. After you get to about three, they turn into torture porn. I'm under no illusions. The, Jigsaw's not going to be good. But if I have to suffer through the eight, you know, like eight and a half million movies you throw on here because, well, they're franchises and you like me suffering, if I can sneak one or two <laughs> in, I'm going to do it. Because you are going to suffer more than I am.
0: So in, 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 in this relationship, I'm Jigsaw is what you're telling me?
1: This is more akin to the final bit This is gonna this is gonna bite me in the ass hilariously next week, mind you, but this is more the end of a, a very specific episode of The Simpsons where Rod Flanders or Pod Flanders excuse me and Bart Simpson are playing miniature golf in a tournament and Homer and Ned have a bet about which of their children will win. And the loser of the bet must mow the lawn of the winner in his wife's best Sunday dress.
0: Yeah, I remember this.
1: The language of the contract that they actually signed over this is that the father of the boy who doesn't win has to do this rather than the father of the loser. Ned Ned objects to the use of the word loser. So when Bart and Todd at the end decide they want to call it a draw on the last hole and they go down as co-winners, Homer is happy to point to the contract and say, it says the father of the boy who doesn't win. Well, they both lost. You'll have to do it, too. It'll be worth it to watch you suffer. I am Homer Simpson in this equation. I'll suffer (laughs) next week through a terrible movie that denigrates a franchise that has some legitimately great movies that I genuinely love, but if I can suffer through Tremors 5 Bloodlines and Hellraiser Revelations, further bastardizing franchises that I love, I'll suffer through this one just to get nearer to even with you.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You, You happy now you got that out of your system?
1: I'm not a happy man, Mark.
0: Are, are you satisfied enough that we can move on to the next segment? No,
1: God! No, God, please, no! No! No!
0: No! All right. Alyssa Wilkinson of Vox says the level of boredom I experienced during Geostorm ought to qualify as at least a second degree felony in the state of New York. <laughs>
1: Much as that's a funny line, if I'm going to yell at people over using fun as some kind of objective criteria, I'm equally yelling at them about boredom. Now, thankfully, this individual couched it as I experienced boredom, rather than simply saying this is a boring movie, so I applaud that. But really, that's your complaint? You were bored? You're not going to complain about the effects. You're not going to complain about the narrative. You're not going to complain about anything that is so blatantly wrong with this movie. It's just, now, ah, I was bored. I was so bored I wanted someone to be arrested. I mean, isn't that just what liberals lay around thinking all day? God, I'm bored. I wish they'd arrest some white guy.
0: Speaking of liberals being bored, Susan Granger of SSG Syndicate, A Miscalculated Cataclysm Crippled by Bad Timing, She's, of course, insinuating that with all the stuff going on in the world, that uh, uh, this was was ill-timed.
1: Which is just stupid. Like, that's a stupid point. You should feel bad about yourself over that one. I mean, you don't even have, like, you could actually talk about the timing within the film and how that's a problem, which it is. But instead, you're going to try and use a review about a terrible disaster movie to make a statement about the world. I hate you so much for this. You are what's wrong with the world. You're foisting a political and personal belief into something that where it has no point, it has no place, has no bearing on anything. Don't bring it up. No one cares.
0: Fred Toppel of We Live Entertainment, in one of the rare, fresh reviews, says, GeoStorm seems to understand disaster porn better than Roland Emmerich himself. There is a lot of exposition, but there are still are a lot of action scenes. Remember, Independence Day really only has three. <laughs> do I really have to? Okay, no, 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 no. This is actually
1: funny. This is this is legitimately amusing to me. You know who directed this thing? Because I do.
0: Dean Dev. Dean Devlin. A
1: fellow by the name of Dean Devlin. This was this was the first movie Mr. Devlin has ever directed. Do you know where he got his kicks as a producer? Who his most famous collaborator as a producer is?
0: Roland Emmerich. A fellow
1: by the name of Roland Emmerich. Devlin's a producer on, like, everything that Emmerich has done. Independence Day, Godzilla, Stargate. I can't remember if Emmerich was Stargate or not, but I think it was. Uh, That's just off the top of my head. Yeah. yeah, Again, this... (laughs) Saying that he understands disaster porn better than the guy who actually popularized the concept is fundamentally erroneous based on the evidence in this movie and also hilarious because you're insinuate you've like completely ignored the fact that the only things Devlin knows about this he learned from Roland Emmerich I mean was Roland Emmerich just the only guy whose name you knew to associate with large scale disaster movies
0: and you just, so <laughs> I, I? I need to interrupt you here for a second because I haven't watched MMA in a long time. Um, while I was while I was going through chemotherapy, uh, I couldn't get past 9, 10 o'clock at night without falling asleep. And it's one thing to watch the WWE Network and pass out in my bed. You know, that's I'm paying for the network anyway. So if I fall asleep while watching one of their pay per views, it's not a big deal. I'm not paying like fifty bucks or whatever the fuck it is. Or UFC pay per view, and and then I and then fall asleep. You know, well before we we get to a main event. So I they watched, always uh, they
1: completely time those things around the West Coast. It's a terrible, terrible problem, and you are not the only yeah. one to suffer so, for
0: it. So your main event comes between like midnight and one usually, and but and I'm so fast asleep. It's not even funny, especially over the summer. uh, Like I said, when I was going through chemo. Um. So, uh, but I'm still doing the the 401 Mania MMA Factor Fiction, uh, and when I and so I find myself getting these questions, I have no idea what like I just did one this past week. It reminded me of it. I got them today, and I turned them in. But I have to do a lot I of know, research so on I. these. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do. A, I, I have to do a lot of research on these because I have no idea what the hell he's talking about half the time. I don't follow what's happening in the sport really anymore. I'll be, I'll be, I'll, I'm 50 50 on even if I get GSV versus Bisping. My point is, I could just answer the questions based on like nothing, just assuming things. But I'll go as far as if I have an idea in my head of an argument I want to make, make sure I have all the details correct. And I'll go look up the details. Like, I was making an argument about Conor McGregor and, and Floyd Mayweather. Probably, specifically Conor McGregor, drawing the best he'll ever draw in his life against Mayweather. It's not getting any better than that. They've already broken records with that pay-per-view boxing match. And did they have. Never, and, but I wasn't sure if they actually broke records or not. So before I made that statement, I went and looked it up.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure they've, with, they've like confirmed to have broken the 4.7 million that they, they broke uh, Pacquiao Mayweather by a non-significant yes, margin.
0: Yes, they did. So my point being, I is a uh, I, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a professional journalist. I'm a professional social worker. But in my ro- but in my role as a uh, you know as writing for 401, which is I do, <laughs> contributor. I actually will do research, and I find it hilarious and upsetting that we have professional uh, reviewers who, t- who don't do even a minimal amount of research when making statements like the one I just read and you reacted to. Not even like, – like didn't even do a Google of Dean Devlin to see who he's worked with.
1: I mean, again, I didn't even have to look. I I looked that up after a second, but as soon as his name came up at the end of that movie, I went, "Oh, that explains it." Yeah, this, this guy, because hey. <laughs> I know, but uh, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly oh. on that.
0: Robbie Collin of the Daily Telegraph UK: Watching Gerard Butler solve a who-done-it is like watching chimpanzees move a piano downstairs—a kind of teeth-bearing, flea-picking burlesque. Are recognizable human behavior that's funny for a while until you start to worry about the ethics of it.
1: Wow. How did he get to an ethical quandary about this?
0: <laughs> I don't know. But before hey, you look, say anything, I... I want Hang on, before you say okay. anything, I've got to tell you about Peter Sabin- Sabinsky's from Ebert, com, who's a top critic, who <laughs> said, really could have used a nader or two to liven things up. All right, oh, now
1: go. shut the... F- I mean, it could. Let's be very clear about this. Like, it needed, you and I brought up, it needed another one. It needed one more big action sequence. It needed a signature sequence, which is really what this movie was lacking. There's nothing that'll stick with you. Most other good disaster movies have at least one. There's one that you know that's where it came from. It came from this movie, and it looks great, and it stays with you. And this didn't have it. Right. So his, well, uh, while I agree Scott, with his point, the fact that he brought up Sharknado immediately means you should be disqualified from, being, from ever being associated with Roger Ebert.
0: A.O. <laughs> uh, Scott from the New York Times, top critic says Geostorm uses digital technology to lay waste to a bunch of cities and hacky screenwriting to assault the dignity of several fine actors.
1: Um. You know, that's not actually all that inaccurate.
0: (laughs) All right. I'll do one more of these, and we're going to call it a night. Let me find a good one here. Uh, Find
1: Find Mr. (laughs) Morgenstern. Have we shamed him into retirement yet?
0: (laughs) Uh, Let's see. (laughs) This is funny, actually. Matt Singer of Screen Crush. Most of this movie is a slog but the final act achieves a kind of uh, transcendent idiocy.
1: (laughs) Well, that is the point when even you said, I've had enough. I've stands all I can stand. I can't stands no more.
0: Yeah. Um, Luke Buckmaster of the Daily Review says, Geostorm brings tin-eared dialogue and squirrely, logic-deprived plot lines aplenty. Miraculously, however, I had quite a bit of fun with it. (laughs) Get him, Winfrey.
1: You know, I'm glad you had fun with it. I know a lot of people who are entertained by jingling keys. Would you like some of those? (laughs) I mean, I can respect people who have a different sense of fun than I do. I really can. Like, Mark has a different sense of fun than I do. I have a different sense of fun than anyone listening Sure, they may overlap from time to time, but they're largely unique to each individual. boy, that's redundant It's one of the things that I have come to loathe about criticism and the way it's couched and written today is that we pretend that these individual things are not only societal norms, like I could probably accept the argument about fun put forth in the concept within the confines of the argument that as a societal norm, people like... You know, the majority of people will have fun. The majority of people like watching roided-up monsters give each other head trauma on the uh, on a field wearing shoulder pads. Like, okay, fine, I'm prepared. I like watching men fist fight. Okay, I'm not claiming moral superiority here by any stretch of the imagination. But when you try to say, like, no, like... If your only defense, i said this before, if your only defense is I had fun, you don't actually have a defense. You don't have a rebuttal. You have made a tacit admission of the fallacious logic that your own argument is stationed upon. If you had fun, I'm glad you did. I would like to have more fun in my life. I think we all should, provided, you know, we can do so safely within the bounds of the law and not being monumental jackasses to each other. If you have fun at something that I don't have fun at, Godspeed, party on, I'm prepared to let other people enjoy themselves. Nothing wrong with that, but you're a critic. You're a professional critic that should not be the crux of your argument. And I get the feeling I'm going to be repeating that phrase a lot when we talk about Thor.
0: (laughs) Jesus Christ! You are a dog with a bone, man.
1: Have you read some of the early reviews? Like, actually read
0: them. Yeah, and I understand yeah, it, that's a lot of what it. That's a lot of what it is. It's you know, it, it essentially it's just saying, look, we couldn't take Thor seriously when the writers and producers did, but now that they've made Thor into a comedy, we like it.
1: Yeah, and that. That really gets my goat. Like, I am planning on yelling at so many of them when we talk about that movie.
0: Okay. I'll set the show for two hours, and we'll spend most of it doing this bit.
1: Hey, come on, guys. It was fun. Really, it was brightly colored and had funny dialogue. Yeah, again, like, I hate to bring this up, but so's My Little Pony. A lot of bright colors, a lot of funny dialogue. Doesn't make it good.
0: Oh, My Little Pony was fine. Stop picking on that movie.
1: It's just an example. I have others I could use. Would you prefer I use another one?
0: No, because now I'm afraid of what you're going to come up with. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) All right. Next week, Rob. Speaking of making fun, Rob gets to torture me with torture porn. I don't my see sh- the, what the I've. The
1: Schadenfreude done... is enormous on my end. I just want to let you know. Uh,
0: I don't see what I've done this year that deserve having to watch people being mutilated. I just don't. Do you really but... want to know? No.
1: <laughs> I can list. Oh. I have a list.
0: No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, you know, I gotta send you next year's next year's list sucks so bad it should be studied. I
1: know we talked about this a little bit like a month ago, and I went, <laughs> "Why on God? Why on God's green earth is this the spate of movies we have for next year?"
0: Yeah, it's like I think Hollywood has pretty much written off 2018 outside of the Avengers, and and that's it. Um, what do you bet the
1: Avengers gets pushed gets pushed back just for the hilarity? Like, no legitimate reason, just like, well, 2018 is going to suck except for when Thanos shows up. What if Thanos didn't show up until 2019? Well, then there's nothing good about 2018. Yeah, let's do that. It'll be funny.
0: Yeah, 2018 is, is, is just a... I mean, 2019 and 2020 have some badass movies coming out. 2018 has, like, a handful that look okay and, and The Avengers. And then that's it. The rest of it is like I just let's just get through this. So anyway, um so next week Jigsaw, week after that Thor. Uh last week we did Voltron in the place of a damn you Hollywood, Voltron season four on Netflix. Uh the Punisher dropped recently. The the date for the Punisher rather dropped recently. So let's take a quick look at November because November's got a lot of stuff going on. Um we've got We're doing stranger uh, four, things. No, I, I mean we can. Um, I'd have to. I'd have to do it on a Thursday because the Tuesdays are all booked up. But, no, no, um, I, I
1: get that. I just like. I was curious as to whether or not you were contemplating adding it to the as a TV party schedule because season one was so good, and I'm like irrationally hyped for season two.
0: I no, I haven't watched it so. Um, oh come on! It's eight
1: got... episodes. That's all.
0: Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, well, see, we'll see what we can do. Uh, we got Thor. We've got Black Mirror Season 3 on October, on November 14th, rather, uh, Justice League on November 21st, Coco on the 28th. Um, we've got Punisher Season 1 December 5th. It, I understand it's coming up the same day as Justice League, but because of Justice League and then Coco, I, unless I did it on a Thursday, which I don't want to do, um, we had to Because again, the, the Thursday after it comes out Is Thanksgiving, so that's not happening And then the only other time to, we could have done it Would have been the, would have been the 30th um, So we moved it to December 5th After that is The Crown Season 1 With uh, Andrew Graham Then Star Wars, then Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle And then uh, we are done for, That's actually the last show of the year The following week after that is January 2nd and right now, I don't have anything booked for January second. I usually give like that first week off so everyone you know can get a break from the constant podcasting. But we have a Metal Hammer of Doom scheduled for that for that week, so I don't know. Maybe maybe we we'll, you know, my, myself, Rob, Pat, Sean, will all come up with something and we'll start January second. And we could Depends do a year in review for
1: a seventeen, and I can yell about it some more.
0: Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, Again, however, like
1: there's ideas. We'll see. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we'll see. All right, um, go ahead and do your plugs there, sir.
1: Uh, Mark and I both kind of brought it up, but we will be in factor fiction this week in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so give it a read, vote for who you think won. Uh, This last Sunday, the 411 Ground and Pound radio show returned. I did not have an illness and a traffic incident and any number of other complicating factors that contributed to last Sunday being canceled at the last minute. We reviewed Fight Night 119, which wasn't much. It was just kind of an event. Um, But, you know, Darren Till knocked the stuffing out of Cowboy Cerrone in the first round, so we talk about that. We also do some preview work for UFC one nine, uh, Fight Night 119. Leota Machida returns to fight Derek Brunson. And there's a lot of really good fights on that main card, just guys you may not have ever heard of, but it's a pretty solid card. So this com- so Saturday you can find me covering that in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. And Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time we will be reviewing that event, and previewing UFC 217. Uh, I basically refuse to acknowledge the main event, but the co-main event's really good. Uh, the fight below that's also really good. Uh, Steven Thompson and Jorge Masvidal all ought to be pretty good, and Johnny Hendricks desperately tries to hold on to his job against an up-and-coming middleweight. I am more interested in Johnny Hendricks versus the scale, but such as life so you can tune in to hear us uh, preview that event uh, this coming Sunday and on Tuesday Mark and I will be back to talk jigsaw and I can uh, enjoy his discomfort because I'm a terrible human being
0: don't like Uh, seeing people mutilated
1: oh but it's done so badly
0: (laughs) so terrific
1: So we will be back to talk about that. Until then, thank you all for tuning in. It's always appreciated. Um, If you missed our last show, we reviewed Blade Runner 2049. You can find that in the archives. Uh, Feel free to do so. Until next time, for Mark, I'm Robert. Thanks again for being here, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.